Thank you for that great introduction, Daniel. It is all true. So Becky and I did meet in Vegas. I would love to talk to you about Land Cruisers. <laughs> but as Daniel shared, you know, Becky and I have been um, here at Grace since 2014. And uh, most of you know me from serving on the worship team. Um, something that you may not know about Becky and I, um, we both deal drugs legally during the day. <laughs> we work in hospitals in different parts of the city as pharmacists, so definitely enjoy that. Uh, for those of you uh, joining us, we've been in a series on Encounters with Christ, and we've seen a lot of people come to see Christ, and then various levels of responses, and tonight we'll be in Luke 10, where two ladies, Mary and Martha, come to encounter Jesus. So as I thought about the portion for tonight, um, a couple questions came to mind. What are the things in our life that we set our focuses on? And what do our actions say about the gospel that we believe in, in times of stress? Uh, let's pray before we dive into the word. Holy Father, uh, we thank you for bringing us together like this. Your word is truth. Uh, reveal yourself in your word to us. May we be obedient to your Holy Spirit. I pray you would speak through me. In the, in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so tonight we're going to be in Luke 38 to 42, so if you could open Luke 10 uh, with me. As we look at this chapter, we see a little bit of a format. Um, the chapter starts with Jesus sending 72 disciples out for ministry, and then we encounter one of the most familiar parables to us, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, before we come to Mary and Martha. And I believe this is intentional in the Holy Spirit and how he led Luke. Um, these are highlighting two of the commandments of the Lord, um, how to love your neighbor like yourself and how to love your God um, as, as one. The Good Samaritan answers the question of how to uh, love your neighbor and maybe an extreme that we can get into. And I, I think this passage on Mary and Martha highlights another extreme in that same way. Um, a little bit about Mary and Martha. Most of you all know that they have a brother, Lazarus, right? Um, they live on the outskirts of Jerusalem um, in a city called Bethany. We can probably infer by this interaction that they have a close relationship with Jesus. And because of their close proximity, probably when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he often went to visit them. We also see in John 12 that Jesus loved them dearly. So definitely something to note. And Mary was a common name in that time, just like Jesus' mother was named Mary. Um, let's read this passage together. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, as soon as we read this portion, many of us can remember messages that come to mind, you know, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Um, we're often urged to emulate Mary, but I think there's a lot that both Mary and Martha get right. Uh, let's look at verse 38 and 39 again. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her, his house, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. 
First of all, without question, Martha was eager to receive and welcome Jesus into her house. It shows that she was supportive of his ministry, um, and she probably went into high gear preparing for Jesus, right? Um, you can see that she wants to hose Jesus, and uh, Martha, likely in the kitchen, um, serving, and really got uh, excited about that. But we see her sister Mary. She was doing something different. She was sitting at the feet um, of Jesus. Uh, what's so striking about this encounter? We, we need to look at it from the cultural eyes, right? In our culture today, we would probably say sitting at the feet of Jesus is the way to go. But really, Martha was doing what was right in that culture. Uh, from that context, Martha was serving. Um, she was uh, focused on really helping. And Mary should have been helping and serve instead of sitting at Jesus' feet. So you can imagine, from a cultural standpoint, Mary should be the one receiving a rebuke. Um, she was the one acting out of step with culture that day. But Jesus not only allowed Mary to sit and listen, but he also commended her for the work that he did. Now, one of the things that we see quickly is that Martha got distracted with serving. Now, before we get on to Martha about getting distracted, let's think about how we'd react if we were in Martha's situation. So imagine you were Martha. Jesus, the revered teacher, very prominent in the community, is coming to your house. How would you react I mean, stop and think about it for a minute. Is your house clean enough for the Messiah? Right? No Roomba. Uh, <laughs> no dishwashers. Uh, you probably have to draw your own water. Um, and dog hair everywhere. At least, I guess that's what Becky and I. Uh, how about the food? You know, you, you can't really cater from Fadi's or Zoe's. Uh, you really have to do it all on your own. And I, I think... If we were uh, real with ourselves, we would likely react similar to Martha. Um, in fact, Martha's obsession with providing the perfect guest experience for Christ, in that process, she misses out on experiencing the person of Christ himself. And sometimes as it relates to hospitality, we also allow our need for perfection to hold us back. And when I talk to Becky about this, we find that some of our top excuses for not serving or having people over has to do with our source idols, we want to control the environment. We want the clean house. We want the perfect menu. We want it to be the perfect night. But really, in that process, we focus on ourselves instead of allowing others into the messiness and chaos of our lives. So back to the person of Martha. I believe Martha had a desire to serve the Lord, as many of us do. Uh, but Martha had become distracted to the point of anxiety because she focused on the external and we see that in verse 40. So let's read verse 40 together. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I could identify a lot with Martha in the story. Um, Martha approached the Lord with her concern, and it's commendable, uh, but she also approached the Lord with her solution. Wes has once said that sometimes we treat God like a pharmacist, and being a pharmacist myself, I can say Martha definitely gave God the prescription to her problems. <laughs> Martha's approach, though, to serve God was really focusing on outwards, right? A clean home, maybe a delicious meal, providing the ultimate guest experience for Jesus. And Martha really wants to serve God, and she's doing a good thing. And this brings me to my first point. Even good things can be distractions from serving Jesus. 
Even good things can distract us from Jesus. Um, In a culture where hospitality is valued higher than our own, Martha's heart to serve led her to prioritize serving above Jesus or his word. Um, Hospitality inherently is not a bad thing. Uh, But when prioritized above Jesus, it becomes at best a distraction and worse an idol. Now you may be thinking, how can hospitality or serving become an idol? If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, if you are focused on the approval of man, maybe thinking about how clean your house is or how good your food tastes, you can take it to an extreme and miss the most important thing. Uh, Here, the Lord is in her living room, and she's too busy serving. Martha's focus on serving led her to be even stressed out and miss out on time with Jesus. And you can even ask, maybe in her uh, approach and, and, and her want for perfection and control, who's really getting the glory? As she strives to honor the Lord, is she hoping to take some credit or earn the approval of man? Um, sometimes externally, serving God and serving yourself can look the same. As the body of Christ, I think there are scenarios where we intend to honor God and please God. We say, only the best for God, but really we end up focusing on the external instead of humbly sitting at Jesus' feet. The way the enemy attacks us most isn't necessarily to worship Satan. It's really by distracting us from the one thing. Uh, Hospitality was a big deal in an honor-shame culture, but may not be a big focus for most of us in this room. So what are some distractions that we see in our culture today? Things that may not be inherently bad, but things that take us away uh, from the pursuit of seeing Christ as the center of our lives. I can think of a lot of applications here, but two come to mind quickly. Um, Think of social media, right? A lot of us, myself included, can be addicted to social media. For most of us, this is a distraction, and I get it. Some people might encounter Christ and the gospel through it, but what's our intent in in using social media or the time that we spend there? Is social media really being used as a tool for the gospel, or are you chasing meaningless internet points? Is it baiting a snare in your life for discontentment when you see that everyone has something else better than you do? Another distraction for us, especially as men, maybe, is our role as providers and our families. Um, In our hearts, our intention is to provide for our families. It's good and noble, and maybe we achieve success in our careers and our work. But in that process, we spend a lot of time at work, long hours of work, and we may be taking away from truly shepherding our families, um, not fulfilling God's call as fathers, as husbands, as brothers and spiritual leaders. I really feel for Martha, because I see more of myself in her than I want to admit. Um, Here the Lord is in her living room, and she's not listening. She's busy serving. Uh, Let's take it a step further. Let's look at how Martha questions God in verse 40. It says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You can see the motivations of her heart as she asks that question, right? There's a little bit of self there. Um, And as we approach God, examine our own hearts. How do we uh, try to approach God? What are the things that drive us? Are we seeking the approval of God or the approval of man? Serving God is important, but order matters. And really, knowing Jesus first 
has to come first, and then everything else is an outflow of it. We can also see that in Jesus' response, he calls Martha out for being anxious. And that brings me to my second point. Um, in being anxious, we trust ourselves instead of a sovereign God. Um, Christ's response to Martha in verse 41 is really a mic drop moment. It's really not what Martha is expecting um, in this interaction. Um, let's look at it. It says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Um, let's break down this response a little bit. Um, he starts with Martha, Martha. In saying her name twice, we see the intimacy in that relationship. We know that this is a loving response, a loving rebuke, in fact. We also see that Jesus doesn't accept her anxiety or even condone it. He acknowledges her problem and then shares that her anxiety is far beyond just that moment. And the encounter ends here. We don't really get to see how Martha responds. We don't get to see what goes on. But this rebuke from the Lord and publicly must have gotten Martha thinking, right? She assumed that her tasks were uh, necessary, that her focuses were sure. She thought that she was serving others while Mary wasn't serving anyone, maybe even serving herself. From the outside to, and to everyone else, Martha's service appeared to flow from a servant heart. But Jesus saw something in her heart, something so significant that he not only corrected her, but recorded us for us to learn from. Martha's motivation was not rooted in her love for the Lord. It was probably rooted in anxiety. It was probably rooted in maybe a sense of approval or control. So let's ask ourselves, how are we like Martha? How do we sin like her? What are the motivations in our hearts when we serve or when we lead? Uh, sometimes I look at my life and I see a little bit of stress. I mean, stress and anxiety or overwhelm is a symptom of the heart focusing on trusting self more than trusting God. If we looked at us as a group and maybe asked the question, what are the top things that stress you? Maybe collectively come up with a list of five things. We may not all say the same thing, but I suspect they might be in these five buckets. Um, we're probably stressed about work or vocation. We may be stressed about health. We might be anxious about money and provision, family, and relationships. Take a moment and think about it. For each of these things, if we examine our hearts, what is the root of our stress or anxiety? Is it relying on self-control, or is it trusting in our own abilities over God's sovereign provision? I'm going to go through this list again, and as I go through it, Think, which of these things is God not sovereign over? Is God not sovereign over work and provision? How about health? Is God not sovereign over money? Family? Is God not sovereign over relationships? At the core, Matthew 6 urges us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm not saying that we should just sit here and pray, but really we should seek God's will and take action in accordance to his will and his kingdom, and in response be content in him 
as that good part will never be taken away. Um, in Matthew 11, we also see an invitation for us to rest and trust in Jesus. Uh, verse 11, 28 to 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes we, we try to carry this all on our own. I'm incredibly guilty of doing this in my own life. Being anxious and worrying about things is a constant for me, whether it's at work or at home. I'm anxious about being good at my job, anxious about relationships, worrying about finances and deadlines. Time and time again, the Lord has proven his faithfulness in my life, and I still seem to find more things to be anxious about. Um, Daniel mentioned that Becky and I would have been married for five years coming up. And in, in October, we're expecting our first. In the years leading up to this moment, uh, we found ourselves very anxious whether we could even have children. And even after the Lord has graciously provided in that, we still find ourselves anxious about the pregnancy, the checkups, the potential complications. And you know what? We need to realize that anxiety is not harmless. It's an act of rebellion against the sovereignty of God. Instead of resting in the finished work of the cross, we allow our experiences and our circumstances to shape the gospel that we believe in from moment to moment. And it really brings me to my third point. Let's seek God first, first in all things. Our relationship with Christ far outweighs anything this world has even to offer. Right? See what Jesus tells Mary. He says, the good portion she has chosen will never be taken away from her. What is this good portion? What does that mean to you? Psalm 73 gives us some clarity on this. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here it says, God is our portion, meaning he himself is our inheritance. He himself is our treasure. And Mary understood this. He is our reward. He is our inheritance. He is our desire. Our portion is God himself. Believing this truth, though, does require us to reorient our perspectives. And Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 3. He says, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. Look, Paul valued knowing Christ over everything else in the world. What would this look like in our day-to-day if we truly valued that, as Paul does? Think about seeking God relationally. How much time do you spend seeking God? What does that time look like? Do we just check in with God at night and check out in the morning? Are we really communing um, with him? in prayer and intimacy? Are you listening to his word and letting his gospel transform your life? And thinking about our prayers, sometimes our prayers reveal our deepest values, our deepest needs. So if we were to, if God were to take a look at all of the prayers that we've prayed, maybe from that first day till now, and if he were to catalog it to a single theme, what would that be? 
Um, the psalmist, David, gives us a great example of maybe what it could be. Um, in Psalm 27, he says, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who shall be afraid? And in verse 4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Do our prayers look like that, the psalmist? Are we seeking the beauty of the Lord and his face, or are we constantly seeking his hands and wanting him to act? Really like Martha and her question, our prayers reveal the focus of our heart. If we orient ourselves rightly before the Lord, worship and service comes as an outflow of that. And we see this in contrast in Mary's life, right? Um, In John 12, we see after Lazarus, her brother, was raised from the dead, Mary serves God and opens an expensive perfume. It says a liter of nard and anoints Jesus' feet with uh, with this perfume and wipes his feet with her hair. We see a choice of seeking God in her life, leading to an act of service and sacrificing all that she had to honor Christ. And John says that this bottle was about 300 days wages. Think about it as a year's worth of salary for us. So something so precious being sacrificed. And this radical act of worship comes from a heart that values Christ and values the one thing that matters more above everything else. We're also told in John that the fragrance of this fill the house. And so in how we serve, um, our acts of service will spill over in, in our families and in our communities. Mary knew that one thing. She was focused on Jesus. She knew the source of life. She knew the living water and the bread of life. And she had chosen the good part, right? It's a conscious choice, not something that's once and done. It's something that we have to choose day in and day out. Um, And Jesus has promised that if we choose to sit at his feet, we'll have made the best choice of it all. Uh, With that, um, I want to conclude. We see an admonition and a warning from the gospel um, to avoid an ever-present temptation, especially for those of us um, in the church that serve, uh, where we try to substitute service for gospel. In Martha, we see a workspace gospel. We see a workspace gospel that gives us insight into what she believes and the motivations of her heart. But the true gospel is not really about what we can or should do, but instead of what God has already done for us. If we truly believe the gospel, it becomes an invitation for us to orient our lives towards him. And our good works become an outflow of that heart transformation. Instead of finishing and resting in the finished work of the cross, we busy ourselves with the things that are important, but not the best thing. When we do what Martha's doing, we say that the cross wasn't enough for me, that we need to do more. So I ask, are we living in light of the gospel, or are we trying to obtain God's favor with works and service alone? If you want to know more about this gospel, come talk with me or talk with someone that brought you tonight. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. We thank you for the person of Jesus and for the invitation to sit at your feet. Father, help us to focus on you and you alone. Help us to turn our hearts to you.
we submit that we are anxious, that we are worried, and we don't trust in you. Father, may we take up that invitation to seek you and to sit at your feet and be in your presence. And help us to love and live in light of your gospel in our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.